0: Today I'm going to read John chapter 11, verse 1 to 7, 32 to 37, and 41 to 50. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Verse 32 to 37. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, (coughs) Excuse me. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, Verse 41 to 50. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests, and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than let the whole nation perish. Thank God for his words.
1: Thank you, Amy. Sorry for that very long passage. I'm going to move this out of the way because otherwise I will definitely trip over it. And the traditional
0: way
1: to start the sermon is, is this on? Is this on? It's not even on. <laughs> it is on, right, good. So you know how every sermon begin, has three key points that all begin with the same letter. This is not going to be a sermon like that. And you know how every good sermon, um, it should reflect the fact that we've done something really significant here. We've just commissioned a pastor to preach in the tongue of... A billion people who haven't heard the gospel and desperately need to. And unfortunately, this sermon doesn't work for that either. I'm just going to tell a number of stories. There's no point to all this. It's just context and hopefully something that's really uplifting. So let's pray. Father God, your word can be made new every time we hear it, Let the congregation here be refreshed and have a deeper understanding of what happened at that town so long ago. Amen. So those of you that know me will of course be not even the least bit surprised when I tell you I got totally obsessed over exactly the most unimportant details when I was preparing this sermon. Um, so let me obsess over verse one. Which is, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And you wouldn't believe the number of different things that happened at Bethany. There's, there's a reference a little bit later about when Jesus was at the house of Simon the leper and Martha put um, expensive perfume on him. You remember, you remember that passage? Well, that was at Bethany let me see, in two weeks' time, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. Jesus sent his disciples forward to um, somewhere between Bethany and Bethphage to find a donkey, and then he rode on that donkey into Jerusalem, and afterwards he came back to the town of Bethany. Um, Jesus' baptism was also at a town called Bethany, but that was a different Bethany. Um, Ivana, do you want to put the slides up if, if possible? Uh, actually back several and I'm worried, yeah okay there we go um, now we actually know where this Bethany is incredibly incredibly well because Lazarus tomb is still there um, there's a picture on the left there from um, late 19th century uh, that's the pic- picture I grabbed from Wikipedia um, it, right now it's in that, that bit of Palestine to the east of Jerusalem that's controlled by the Israeli military. So it's not an easy place to go and visit, but it's there. Uh, and we, we know right back to the third century AD uh, that that tomb was the one that everyone referred to as being Lazarus's tomb. We don't have any archaeological evidence that says between the first century and the third century. So perhaps it, it's not exactly right, but we do know there was a cemetery there in the first century AD that we've dug up. So we know if it wasn't precisely this tomb, it was, uh, it was somewhere nearby. the uh, next slide. Hopefully coming up. No, we've missed several slides in between. Um, OK. So um, if you go to um, Bethany now, you'll see the other really compelling piece of evidence that says, we know that this happened in this town. And that's because nobody has called the place Bethany for the last 2,000 years. It's actually called al Azaria, And so in the slide that's disappeared from my presentation there, I put up Google Maps where we had uh, the English al Azaria, Korean Al-Azariya, Chinese Al-Azariya. The place of Lazarus. Um, Because when when God's power came into this place and something happened, the 600 years of history of Bethany was like dissolved like snow. Nothing could compare with the power of what God had done in this place at this time. Um, And this place that's now called Al-Azaria, for 2,000 years, that's what it's been called. That's what the Muslim scholars who wrote about this was the place where Jesus rose, uh, rose Lazarus from the dead. Um, for 2,000 years, it's had this name. So from generation to generation, the story has been passed down of Jesus' acts in this world at this place. And you know, when I had my Korean and Western and so Korean and English and Chinese, that's about as far west and east, from the west to the east. The whole world proclaims that this is the place where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And then if you're in Jerusalem and there's a traffic jam and you decide you're not going to take the main highway out, you're going to take the side streets out, and you ask Siri, hey Siri, navigate me from Jerusalem out to the east, um, what will happen? Well, the Siri, the, the silicon inside your phone will send electrical signals to the piezoelectric parts which give you the speaker in your phone, and the rocks and stones themselves will proclaim Jesus' works in this place. Keep that in mind when we get to Palm Sunday and Jesus is saying, well, you know, the rocks and stones would would tell of his works. Um, So let's move on to the next slide, the one that was sort of right. Yep. Now, Bethany had uh, had two significant roles in, uh, in this time, and they're both very interesting and highlight something very odd that, that Jesus does here. Okay, the first thing that Bethany was, was it was the right distance away from Jerusalem to quarantine. Now. In first century Israel, or first century Judea, they weren't worried by coronavirus because they didn't actually know about it. The terrifying disease was leprosy. It was untreatable, it was contagious, and it could destroy armies, it could destroy, destroy cities, it could destroy civilizations. And so if you look in Leviticus, nearly a thousand years before, they had these very strict rules about what happened if you came down with leprosy. Basically, you had to withdraw away from the settlement and stay there for a period of time, and after a period of time, if it had cleared up, you would then go to the priest who would confirm that your skin condition had cleared up, and then you were allowed to go back into society. Or, it might not heal up, and that would mean that you were now going to die a pauper's death. probably eaten by dogs when you died. A very, very powerful moment. And Bethany was just the right distance away. We don't know the name Bethany, what it exactly means. It could The Beth part means place or town or house. The Ani, it could be um, somebody's name from about 600 BC. There's a little reference in the Amaya that it maybe might be an Ananias or something like that. Um, and it could mean place of the fees, but probably it means place of the poor. Because who were the people that were surrounding Jesus at this time? They were the sick who had withdrawn from Jerusalem. They had no money because suddenly you come, wake up one morning, you have a skin disease, that's it, you're out. Uh, you can't work, you can't interact, you can't buy anything, you're just going to rely on charity and alms. So, Jesus, whose ministry was often healing the lepers, healing the sick, bringing people back to their families that they'd never been able to, that they hadn't been able to talk to, or be with, or reducing suffering, these are all things that, of course, Jesus spent a lot of time at Bethany. This was the the central place for mission. Now, Bethany had another role, and you can sort of see it on the map here. Do you remember? Uh, Two weeks ago, I think it was that John North was talking about Jesus talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he mentioned that uh, he went that Jesus went from Jerusalem up to Galilee via Samaria, which was a strange thing to do because Samaria was a kind of dangerous place for Jewish people to go so most of the time, what people would do is they 'd come from galilee they 'd go walk across to the Sea of Galilee and then walk down along the the Jordan River, come down to Jericho, and then stop at Bethany as being the last last step on your your journey. Uh, And maybe you'd have a a drink there or maybe you might sleep there and then you'd finally do that last step into Jerusalem to go and um, be prepared to go and visit the temple or whatever your business was in Jerusalem. So that's why... um, these verses here, um, starting at, um, just wondering where it is, verse 6. Yet when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, we just gloss over that and, you know, it's, it's odd. Uh, but let's, let's just talk about what that meant. And by the way, Ivana, is there one more slide after this? Because if there is, great, and if there's not, then forget it. Okay, yep. Um, So Edmund, my son, and I have this game where we try to put New Testament events into 21st century. So here's my attempt at at doing that. You know in the southern highlands, you've got that, like, if you're coming back from Canberra to, to Sydney, You've got that sort of road stop around Sutton Forest, Barrel, that sort of area. I'm hoping everybody knows the place that I'm talking about, yeah. Um, quite nice place, it's, you know, on the mountains. Oh, by the way, Bethany's on the Mount of Olives, so similar sort of, you know, nice kind of Southern Highlands feel, as best as you can get in the middle of the desert. Um, anyway, uh, so let's imagine your, your brother Lazarus is dead in Barrel Hospital not dead in Barrel Hospital, he's dying in Barrel Hospital. So you send a message to Jesus who happens to have um, some medicine. Maybe he's he's a medical supplies rep or something. He's got some medicine and he's got some um, ventilators. And you say to Jesus, look, could you hurry down to Barrel Hospital? Your friend Lazarus is dying there. And, yeah, maybe you might be able to provide some medicine, but even if you can't, isn't it kind of nice to just say your final farewells to him? And then if we look ahead to, say, um, verse 52, um, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Um, So what's that like in in this story of in Barrel Hospital, Lazarus is dying, you send a message to Jesus, and then, well, Lazarus dies. You take Lazarus to barrel crematorium. I don't know if there's a barrel crematorium, but I presume there is. And you lay his body to rest. And then Jesus turns up. And you say to Jesus, oh, it's so sad that you couldn't be here earlier. You, know, you didn't get to say final farewells to Lazarus. What, what happened? Were you held up uh, in, in Canberra? Was there another lockdown or something like that? And Jesus says, oh, no, no, I just, you know, hung around for two days watching TV in, um, in Canberra. I mean, like, really? Uh, Mary and Martha would have every right to be incredibly angry with Jesus. You know, they asked, could you do a miracle? But at the very least, come on, anybody would come and say farewell to somebody who was dying. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of these last 15 months where some of us have been praying for miracles, praying that you know, the pandemic would stop, but most of us were just praying for normality. And what we experienced was kind of the opposite of miracles. Let me tell you a story from, from last year. So I really wanted to go and see my aunt, who's down in Canberra. She's been sick, haven't seen her for two years, um, and so I had it all lined up. And maybe two days before I was about to go, uh, do you remember there was that outbreak in northern, suburb, northern beaches and suddenly, no, sorry, ACT is closed off. And I wasn't praying for a miracle that she might suddenly be able to walk well again or that, uh, you know, uh, all the various problems that she'd had would disappear. I was just praying for normality that I'd be able to go and spend some time. And it's been like that for us for the last 15 months, hasn't it? We're just praying to be able to sing in church, which we can't do. Or to be able to meet together. These things that we normally try to do. Think about how it would have been for Mary and Martha when they discover that Jesus has just, like, not bothered coming. It would be that same feeling that we've had. And yet, through this situation, Jesus then goes and performs one of the greatest miracles of human history. What is it that God has been preparing over these last 15 months? I don't know if we'll find out soon. I don't know if we'll find out on this side of heaven. But God has been preparing something. He's been doing something. And we will look back at 2020 and the beginning of 2021 and say, we see God making the way for the most extraordinary miracle. Do we have faith that that's true? Yeah. Let's just talk about Lazarus, because he's one of the more interesting people here. We have pretty much nothing in the Bible about what happens to Lazarus after this. Uh, We have some scattered sort of archaeological records and and historical records. So, according to the Catholic tradition, uh, Lazarus, Mary and Martha were so oppressed that they escaped the oppression by getting into a boat with no sail and sailing across to the to Marseille where he became the Bishop of Marseille. Uh, the problem with this is that there's no support for this and it doesn't seem very believable. Um, the Eastern Orthodox tradition, though, has something slightly more interesting to say. So the Eastern Orthodox tradition says that Lazarus became the Bishop of Cyprus, which makes a great deal of sense because um, at that time you wanted... The, the Gospels weren't necessarily written, and so you wanted people who had interacted with Jesus to know what was true Gospel, what was true faith, and so on. Um, and so it's very likely that somebody like Lazarus would have been um, seen as a very upright, important person early, in the early church. The other part of the, the the Orthodox tradition is that he never smiled once, that he had seen... What was on the other side, he had seen the souls of the damned and he could never smile afterwards. It's a very powerful message, isn't it? We don't know if it's true, but it's kind of um, interesting. We do know that Lazarus probably lived for quite a while after this. So you'll notice that the account of, of Lazarus only appears in John's Gospel. It doesn't appear in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And the theory is that Matthew, Mark and Luke were written first, John was written much later, and perhaps Lazarus was still alive. And if your name was mentioned in the Gospels, um, that was basically a target symbol for Roman and Jewish oppression. So perhaps his name was held out of that. Uh, And if you want to have, I think I'm way short of time, but uh, uh, talk to me afterwards about the Mar Sabah letter. There's this tiny hint that the Library of Alexandria had an extended copy of Mark which also included the Lazarus story, Anonymized. Let me move on to a passage that I never hear preached about. or when I do, it's terrible. Um, So, verse 40, um, as I blurrily look at it, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Well, yes, of course they did that. I mean, you have seen somebody risen from the dead. Of course you're going to put your faith in them. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now, little rule of thumb. Whenever you see Pharisees mentioned in the New Testament, remember two things. One is that um, everybody will preach about how terrible the Pharisees were. And number two, that we are the Pharisees. So, The things that we care about are all the same things that the Pharisees care about. Do you care about being seen as Christ's light in this world, God's light in this world? I'm hoping people say yes to that question, you know. (laughs) Thank you, Di. At least I'm getting some sort of feedback here. (laughs) Do you care about your reputation? If you borrow somebody's car, do you care about returning it? If you borrow somebody's ox, do you care about returning it? Well, you know, I haven't borrowed that many oxen in my life, but I'm sure I would. Do you care about your children's education, making sure they have all the right teachers? This is Pharisees. Do you care about making sure that you bring your children up in the the ways of God and that they have important and relevant and useful things to do that are a positive part of society that can be an outreach to everyone in the world, that's what a Pharisee was. We are the Pharisees. When we look at this, this passage, we can't say we wouldn't have done that, we're not like that, because we definitely were. Let me move on. Um, so, and so, of course, the Jews who had seen these things wanted to report back to the Pharisees. Like, do you have, say, some, some non-Christian friends and, and occasionally they hear some, some news about Christianity and they want to ask you about it, tell you about it? That's why these Jews were going up to the Pharisees, because they were the holy people. They were the people who were upright and, and had the word of God. And, of course, you'd go and talk to them. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place, I mean, temple, and our nation. And then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for one man to die than for for the people than for the whole nation to perish. And Caiaphas gets a really bad rap. In Jesus Christ Superstar, Caiaphas is this incredibly grumpy old man who is evil and scheming and conniving. Let me just put that a little bit to rest. Um, In the late 1990s, um, some workers in Israel dug up some ossuaries, and so we picked up all sorts of interesting things. So, uh, we have the bones of Caiaphas's granddaughter. And so we know that Caiaphas was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, number 24. So at the end of the cycle of priests, the really important one, that was Caiaphas. And let me just put a bit of Roman history here. When a governor was appointed, like when Pilate was appointed to to look after Judea, he would do a complete clean sweep of all the important positions. And the high priest was actually um, assigned by the Roman governor. It was the Roman governor who chose. So what the Roman governor would do is he would find some ambitious young men, put them into positions of power, and then you know, they would owe him favours and then they could terrorise the population. And as long as there were no riots and nothing bad happened, Uh, the governor was all good. Uh, The governor had pretty much free reign to run whatever the governor wanted to do as long as no Roman citizens were killed. That was basically the rule. But very, very occasionally, um, a Roman governor would come in and look at the job that was being done by all the sort of officials and say, you are extraordinary. You can stay on. You were doing such a good job that if I pulled you out and put somebody else in, there would be objections and problems and concerns. And I'll tell you what, there's one high priest who was so above reproach, so wise, that the Roman government looked up to him and said, please stay on. You know who I'm talking about? Caiaphas the high priest. So what do we make of this? Now, Caiaphas is this incredibly wise, intelligent individual. He's clearly not violent and nasty, um, and yet he says we're going to have to kill Jesus. It's probably not him being misquoted. Um, We see in many passages in John, so like Nicodemus came to, to Jesus in John 3, so John, the author of the Gospel, presumably had access to Pharisees who had been there in the Sanhedrin. Uh, There were lots of Pharisees who were following Jesus around and reporting back what he did. So Caiaphas would have known that Jesus had turned water into wine and all the implications for the economy that would have been. Caiaphas knew that Jesus had walked on water. Caiaphas would have known um, the Sermon on the Mount, He would have heard Jesus saying, blessed are the meek, you're going to inherit the earth. He would have known that Jesus was talking to Sumerians and um, outcasts and lepers, and he would have known the healing, and none of those bothered him. Well, okay, healing on the Sabbath, that was a bit upsetting, but that's sort of upsetting in the sense like you see somebody driving down a one-way street the wrong way, and you go, it's not really um, evil, it was just like, What are you doing? But something happened here, and it's kind of obvious. Jesus raised somebody from the dead. So, that means Jesus' followers don't need to fear death. And so that means that Jesus' followers are unstoppable. Now, there's a a Western philosophical thought from the, I think it's late 19th century, which is all earthly power is derived from the threat of violence and death. But just setting that aside, um, if you've got power over death, what do you not have power over? So Caiaphas is looking at this situation and saying, if Jesus is alive, then his disciples cannot be stopped. No matter what oppression or suffering they go through, they will transform this town, this village, this country. They will transform the whole earth. Jesus' disciples cannot be stopped, then from the west to the east, there will be Christians. Not that they would have called them Christians, yeah, they're just followers of Jesus. But if Jesus is dead, then all his wise words, all the people whose lives he's transformed, all the miracles he has performed, amount to nothing because he's dead. And so therefore his followers will scatter away. And, by the way, the Pharisees were completely correct. Um, that little verse where they say, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Taking away our place means taking away the temple, destroying the schooling system, destroying education, destroying a whole bunch of government structures. Yep, that happened 70 AD. So about, what would it be, 32 years after these events, um, spot on, that's exactly what happened. The Romans did come through because of all the... Um, The the violence from the Jewish people and the fact that there was this group who were unstoppable. So let me just put these things together, starting at the end. We, as Jesus' followers, are unstoppable. We don't know what God has been doing in these last 15 months, but we know it's going to be something remarkable. It may be 2,000 years from now before we see the full impact of it. But we know that the little things we're doing today, like commissioning a pastor for a Chinese church, it might be small, but as Jesus' followers, nothing can stop us from expanding his kingdom. I mean, let's pray uh, while the music team come up. I think that's the right order of things. (laughs) Thank you, Father God, that in the worst of situations, (coughs) you can overcome. Thank you for all that you have done in this world. Thank you that we march behind the banner of one who has power over death. Amen.